Elixir Talk is brought to you by Crivalli, an Elixir training and development firm run by me, your Elixir Talk co-host, Desmond Bowie. If your team is adopting Elixir and would like hands-on expert guidance, we can skill you up and make sure you're building things properly. To learn more, visit us at crivalli.io or email me at desmond at crivalli.io. That's D-E-S-M-O-N-D at C-R-E-V-A-L-L-E dot I-O. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, the podcast where we discuss your questions about Elixir application design and the state of the ecosystem. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Bell. Hey, Desmond. Hey, Chris. What's happening? Uh, well, I think today is a pretty exciting day. Uh, I think so, too. I don't know if you can hear the, uh, the energy in my voice. <laughs> I think you always sound very energetic, Desmond. So. Well, thanks, Chris. Well, today uh, we do have um, a very special episode. We're joined by Jose Valim, the creator of Elixir. Hi, everyone. Hi, Jose. How's it going? Jose is joining us from uh, Krakow, Poland. Through the magic of the internet, it's like we're all here together. Precisely. We can all see each other, <laughs> see our smiles. It's a beautiful yes. thing. So we've got Jose on the podcast today. And basically, Desmond and I have put together a bunch of questions that we really wanted to kind of uh, ask Jose and kind of dig into some, some things uh, that are coming up in Elixir. Um, some maybe some decisions, talk a bit about the community and and yeah, just kind of ramble a bit about this space. So we're really excited to to have you here. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here as well. Um, it's always nice to see more and different initiatives coming from the community. So uh, really looking forward to talk with you, get your questions and talk about things in general. That's going to be really fun. Awesome. So just first of all, Jose, you've never come to MPEX. So we're just going to shame you just for a second. Yeah. Uh, but George from Platform Attack has been and he said great things. So it's kind of like kind of an extension of me was there representing. It almost counts, but I'll be one day. But yeah. <laughs> well, you know that uh, there's going to be an LA conference really soon as yeah, well, right? February, right? February 10th. That's right. That's great. Yeah, I think like this first, yeah, the, this first semester is going to be packed with events, Elixir events in the United States, and that's really great. And how is it going with all the organizing? See what I'm doing? I am turning the questions around. <laughs> we appreciate <laughs> so how, that. So how is it going? I mean, this is going to be the third impacts, right? Yeah, that's right. So we've done two in New York, and now we're doing uh, this one in LA that Desmond's kind of spearheading. That's right. We have a new team here in Los Angeles. Uh, I've got six or seven people. I know who you are. I just haven't counted you in my head right now. Um, and we've been hard at work getting talks together. Uh, we have our two keynotes, um, Emma Cunningham, who is a local LA developer. We're happy to have a hometown hero speaking. And Sarah Gray, who's been in the industry for quite a while, came out of New York's uh, ITP school, which some of you know is pretty prestigious. And she's been involved in the Erlang community for a bit. And we're excited to have uh, her as well. So by the time this podcast comes out, our CFP will be closed, um, but we will be announcing speakers before Christmas and uh, tickets are on sale. So pick up yours before they're sold out. So Jose, that means you can squeeze in a CFP proposal just this week, you know, so yeah. if you have anything to talk about. <laughs> I'll work on it. Uh, maybe I can finish a little bit earlier today so I can squeeze a little bit more time and then I'll get it done. And uh, as well as that, we're uh, we're actually in the middle of planning our May uh, MPEX event as well. So that will be in New York, uh, much like previous years. But we're also trying to extend that. So we do a Friday, a Saturday and a Sunday thing. So watch this space for a bit more information about that. Oh, wow. And is that going to be talks or you're planning different kind of activities or that's kind of a spoiler? I should listen to the next episodes. <laughs> well, yeah, well, I can I can tell you that we're going to be doing a bit of training on the Friday. Uh, the Sunday is a bit up in the air right now, but it's going to be something fun and very New York-y. So uh, that, that should keep everyone pretty excited, right? Awesome. We are going to... I was going to make a joke. It's not, probably not going to be appropriate, like not relevant to New York scenario. I don't know much about New York, so I'm just going to skip it and save everyone, everyone from the embarrassment, <laughs> mainly mine. 
I mean, we can kick this off by uh, just asking you a few questions about. Um, let's let's talk about the one point six release and uh, some of the great things that are coming out. If you could. Oh yeah, so um, I actually prepared for this. So my and my prepare was basically opening the changelog so I can tell what is coming. So uh, <laughs> I think the main thing really in Elixir one point six is going to be the code formatter. Um, there has been already a lot of discussion. It has already been merged. So the idea of the code formatter is that uh, you run a command and it's going to format all of the Elixir files in your code base according to a consistent style. And that consistent style is something that is in the language now. Um, and it's there's... Okay, so that's the definition of the code formatter. I can talk more about it later. I bet that you probably have saved some questions about the code formatter. So let's go just kind of for the list right now. Uh, the other one that I'm really excited about, and it's nice because it came from actual production projects. So I think in Elixir 1.3, we added a task called Mix XREF. And this task gives information about how uh, the different modules in your project, they uh, call each other and they have relationships between them. And uh, we have, so for example, this is useful for you to know, well, I have this module that uh, has a bunch of dependencies, so it's kind of a central thing in my system, and you need to think if that's a good or a bad thing. So for example, uh, if I have a router, it's kind of expected that a router in a Phoenix application is going to have to is going to have a relationship with a bunch of controllers and views because you need to invoke the routes and things like that, right? But there are some other place, pieces of your code where I can say, well, this is not good. There's too much dependency in here. I want to break it apart. And it's also useful uh, for those who have been working on the same Elixir project for uh, one year and a half, two years, and the project starts to grow. One of the things that I want to do is like, well, uh, I want to track, for example, compilation time. For some reason, I change a file, and changing this file is uh, making like half or 70% of my project compile. And that compilation may take 15 seconds because it's a big project or something like that. You know, like, I want to understand why this is happening, and I want to understand uh, what I can do about this. So we added a bunch of tasks that allow you to do that to get uh, statistics about uh, your project and understand what is going on. So when you need to solve those problems, uh, you have the tools available. And what is really nice about this, it's because, you know, when you... When I started with the language, and probably when you joined the community, right, there is that excitement. And then there's always the question of like, well, how Elixir is going to to fare, like how it's going to, to work when we have projects that are two years, four years long, that have uh, maybe even hundred thousands of lines of code, right? So uh, that it's still, it's a relatively new phenomenon, right? And then, so it's nice that those things are happening and we are going fairly well, like the the experience that people report, it's still good, like, you know, uh, things that we expect. We want to have a fast test to it. Doing changes in the project should be maintainable, right? Uh, my team should not uh, spend most of their time paying technical debt. Uh, those expectations that we had, they were confirmed, which is a very good thing. But there are issues, right? Like compilation times, right? It's compilation time now is an issue or comp compiling the project all the time. So with time, we, we were improving those things, and it's really exciting to be the point where we get now this feedback from people with really large projects and we improve. I don't know if... So when when did... Do you remember which version did we started uh, with Elixir? Uh, I think it was 1.1 for me. I don't know about you, Desmond. I think I was around 1.3. Yeah, yeah. So for example, like 1.0, we didn't have like incremental compilation. So every time you change the file, like we would compile all the files in the project, which worked fine by that point in the community, right? It was very early on. And then, you know, bit by bit, we were improving this particular aspect. And today, like we do know what we try to recompile as um as few things as possible, as few files as possible when there is a change. Uh, so the tooling around that is always evolving. And this addition to XREF, uh, it's really nice. And I think it gives us a lot of understanding of our project. 
Um, so yeah. sorry, um, you mentioned that XREF first came in one four, and so what's new about it in one six? Yeah, it came in one three, and what we are adding now it's uh, more options and more commands. So like with mix XREF, for example, one of the things that you can do is that you can say, I want to 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 see all the files in my project that uh, is calling a certain module or is calling a certain function. Maybe because, you know, uh, this can be also integrated with editors, but maybe you want to remove that module or you want to do something with that module and you want to understand how that's being used throughout. Uh, so uh, that's one of the things that you can do. Uh, and, and now, for example, something that we added just to to this particular command is that now it also works in Umbrella Project. So if you have been using Umbrella Project, this thing was always for the current application you're at, but now we have a flag that you can say, you know, and I also want to see this for all the applications in this project. We added another command, which is a stats command. So for example, previously, we could generate a graph. But if you have a project with like 200, 200 files or 300 files, when you generate a graph, right, you have like a graph with 300 nodes with arrows going in all directions. You can't understand what that thing is doing, right? Like, right. like the PNG file that we would generate had like 20 megabytes. So like, good luck figuring that out and see, you know, uh, what, how you can improve that. So uh, so now we instead of generating a graph, which you, you wouldn't be able to use anyway, uh, we, we can have a stat, statistics thing that tells you, you know, how many nodes there are, uh, what are the files that have the most uh, incoming dependencies, outgoing dependencies, where are, are the edges? Uh, so it gives you a more digested view of something you would have to do by hand, uh, by looking at the graph, right? And yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I could see that being incredibly useful plugged into a CI system. So you could report potentially on complexities in the code that you don't necessarily see, right? So you could, I know, I don't know if you're familiar with like a uh, code climber or a tool like that, where, you know, you, you can get a score over time about the um, the complexity of your code. And then potentially if you, if you use something like XREF here, I mean, you could look at the coupling between your modules and start to identify like those those kind of god modules in your system as well. Yeah, that's that can definitely be one of the ways of uh, using it. And and you said called climate, right? And there is the and uh, there is a tool from Platform Attack as well, Abert, that we use uh, at. We use at Acto, Plug, and related Elixir projects. It's kind of like cold climate, but gives us comments instead of, because if it generates a report, right? Like sometimes an existing project, you, you have like a report with 120 issues and then they're like, oh, and then you do a change and you get five new issues. And they're like, well, from 120 to 125, I don't care, right? So have something that gives you direct feedback on the pull request. Um, we found out that works better for us. Uh, so yeah, so we have this too, right? And it could also be integrated there, the same thing. Maybe when you start calling more in module, it could say, you know, like this is the bazillion of time you're calling this thing. Uh, maybe look into that. Uh, maybe other tools that are doing static analysis can use this. Uh, I don't know, uh, like Credo, Dogma. So, so I, yeah, so I think there is a lot of potential for using and even integration with editor that I mentioned, I don't think there is any editor uses this thing right now, but there's a lot of potential of using that and digesting this information and showing it more accessible to the developer, even more than what we can do in the command line, right? Because in the command line, you still need to, you know, like, you need to read the file and the line in the command line and open it in your editor. If you have something that can show that directly in the editor, it could be really cool as well. The recent uh, Elixir LS that came out for Atom and I think Sublime too looks pretty slick um, with the integration, of the editors, and the stuff that drops in. I don't know if that's if it's getting that from MixXref. Um, yeah, so that so that's one of the things that is in the change log. So Jake Becker, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. If I'm not, apologies. Uh, he is the one. Uh, working on the Elixir LS, which is uh, so the LS is the language server 
specification or protocol. I don't remember exactly. So basically, we have a bunch of editors. We have a bunch of programming languages. And every time an editor needs to integrate with a programming language, they choose a protocol. And so we end up with a M multiplied by N problem, right? To have M editors, have N languages, and everyone's reinventing the wheel. So Microsoft had this idea of uh, defining a protocol that everyone's going to use, all the editors and all the languages. And it started with Visual Studio Code. And then Atom is integrating it as well with their Atom ID fork. Um, so... Uh, so Jake Becker is the one working on this backend for the language server protocol. And one of the contributions he did for LX0.6 is exactly to improve the compiler diagnostics. Uh, so every time you compile the code, when you get the warnings, compilation error, what everyone had to do in the past, they were kind of like get the standard output and parse it out. So now we are returning digested information, and he's doing a bunch of other interesting things. Uh, I don't know exactly if he's using the MixXref. Uh, he may be as well. Uh, but yeah, so there's so we're talking about editors, and there's definitely already interesting work happening there. So it sounds like, I mean, first of all, like you started off talking about the changes in Elixir 1.6 by talking about these great kind of... Uh, new developer UX kind of features, right? And I'm, I'm, I know you're very well known for, your, for that being something that you really believe in um, and really making sure that everyone has a really great experience using the language. Um, I'm wondering if you could just talk a bit more about the philosophy that you apply to language development um, outside of that and around that as well. Oh, that's a very good question. So, um, so I, the general philosophy that I have um, is that when it comes, so, okay, let me try to roll back. So I need to work with different mindsets. Uh, so for example, Elixir is a language and it happens to have a build tool included in language distribution. But those are like, they're kind of different applications in the same code base. Right. So uh, with Mix, which is the build tool, the goal of the build tool is to make developers productive. Uh, and so, you know, so there's a lot of focus there in really having tooling around uh, your code base, everything we're talking about and being able to get this information. And that's one of the mindsets that I have uh, when I'm working on Mix. But when I'm working on Elixir, uh, I need to have a different kind of mindset because uh, so, for example, s some ways people could feel that Elixir is making them productive. It's like having a bunch of small functions that you would need for each of your use case, and they're already there, having a bunch of modules, a bunch of functionality, right? But that's not the view that we have for the language, because the language is what everything builds on top of, right? So I would rather have a smaller core that everyone can build on top. So... Uh, so those are different things, and they end up, uh, and they require me to use different philosophies and uh, different cr criteria when making, uh, when taking decisions in regard to this stuff. So, uh, and that, and that's not only with uh, with Elixir and Mixer, for example. We have Plug, right, which is what, which is the, the the library that defines how you're going to interact with the web server, and then we have Phoenix, which is a web framework, and I contribute. To both, and I kind of need to take similar decisions in there. Like in Phoenix, it's okay to do more features that are really focused on the productivity of the end user, like really bells and whistles, right? Like things that you look at and it's like, oh, that's nice, right? It shines. But in Plug, it's a library that we want everyone to build on top of, so we want that to be smaller. So, uh, so basically, to sum up, uh, so yes, in Mix, we do have a very strong focus in, in giving you that end functionality and make almost everything work with running one command. I want to run mix test and I want everything to figure, uh, and I want it to do everything, to fetch the dependencies, I want it to compile the code, uh, I want it to run the tests, right? We, we have a lot of features so we are talking about tests. So you can do mix test, the name of a file. We run that file. We run that line. There are a bunch of like conveniences that you can use and makes a very joyful the development experience. But when I am with Elixir, my goal is more like we should enable, 
rather than provide, which means we should make everything that you want to do possible, but we should not necessarily provide them. Uh, enabling is more important. Um, and so, you know, there are those two different philosophies. And yeah, so that's usually how I tackle those problems. It's interesting. I feel like the language is um, very much at a point where, to me, as not a language designer, it feels very complete. I mean, I'm very happy that we introduced, you introduced dynamic supervisors in 1.6. Um, I think that is a very cool uh, new feature, but um, all of the other big changes are tools. I mean, they're around the tool chain. Um, and that's where a lot of the conversation seems to be around. How do we get people more productive? How do we have better integrations? How do we give better feedback? Um, even with the last release, with the, uh, the warnings from the compiler around, um, not the warnings, I'm thinking of when you call a function with the wrong arguments and it says, well, I don't know what you meant, but here's what you called it with and here's what I know about. I think that's super useful. Um, and so when I think about, okay, well, what's next? I always wonder what, what else can people add to a language that's feels very complete, particularly one that's built on top of a venerable language that's been around for so long that people have put a lot of work into, um, doing now three years ago, the answer could have been maps. You could add that to the language, but we've passed that. And so now, um, yeah, I wonder like what the long-term, uh, I guess kind of what's what's further on the horizon in terms of what can we add to the language or uh, is the work really around what the tool, uh, how can we improve the tooling? Yeah, that's a very good question. So at the keynote at Elixir conference uh, that we had in September, I said that like there is, I want Elixir to be everything that we think it's necessary for to build Elixir applications, like needs to be the core. It needs to be the important things. So if we say that we want to have everything, then we don't, then nothing's important, right? Because we say, oh, we need everything. So what is our focus really? Uh, and what is, um, what do we think are, so rolling back, like I want when you get to Elixir and say, what do I need to know in order to be proficient in this language and this ecosystem? I want the answer to be, what is in the language? And that's it, right? Like, sure, there are going to be other things that depending on your context, on your domain, that's going to be important as well. So yeah, if you want to do web, sure, right? You do need uh, you do need a web framework. And then that's a particular domain. If you want to talk to the database, if you want to do embedded, but for the core, I want that to be one thing, which means that at some point we need to stop, right? At some point we stop adding things to the language because otherwise... Uh, otherwise we don't have focus or otherwise the language starts to become big enough where uh, you start to have fractions inside the language, right? They're, they're like people, especially if you start having like very conflicting idioms that, you know, uh, they are uh, opposed opposed to, they oppose to each other. So people say, oh no, I just use this part of the language and I don't use that other part or just use this. I don't want that to happen. Um, so yeah, so the goal for Elixir, when I think about Elixir is like, my goal is that we eventually will really stop adding things to Elixir. Uh, it gets to a point where it, that's it. It's, it's, it's done what it is. It's, it's what is there. Right. And we, we did, and we can even see that in our, like, on what we have been working on on the last like two, three years. So we worked a lot on gen stage and flow and uh, we are really proud of the work, but after we were done with it, we're like, I don't think these should be part of the language. One of the things that I think is like, if someone is writing a book about Elixir and they want to cover everything that is in the language, right? Do they want, do they need to know about gen stage? Everyone that is learning Elixir from the programming Elixir book or Elixir in action or any other book, do they need to read about gen stage? And to me, like the answer is no, right? No, like they don't. And uh, and then one of the things that I announced at Elixir Conf as well, um, it was about property testing. And when I asked this question, like, do I want everyone that is learning Elixir to think about property testing and have that as part of their tool, then the answer was like, yes, I think that's very reasonable because uh, we saw from experience that it 
improve the quality uh, of our code bases. So, so that was the decision. And we had like the code formatter, which is more on the tooling side. But that's the direction I think we eventually will stop adding things. And you're right, like then most of the, the enhancements, they're going to be towards uh, usability, right? Productivity, uh, they're going to happen on mix, for example, rather than uh, on, on the language. So the things that we have, and we even have a short list of things planned. So the code formatter that is going to be in this release, um, the other one is uh, the property testing, which I think is going to be actually on one seven, so it's not going to make to this release, uh, but rather the next one. And then we also want to work on releases, uh, which is you know packaging our code so you can run it in production. And I think that when we are that, we'll be really close to to done. Like you know, this is this is it. Everything else from here is incremental development. It may change in two years. I may be completely wrong, right? But the the expectation right now, the expectation uh, of what we have been doing over the last years, it's kind of moving uh, to that direction. Uh, things that may trigger uh, changes on us can be changes to OTP. So let's say, for example, that uh, they add a new important concept. Right, we may want to integrate that as part of Elixir, and that may cause uh, uh, changes on our side. Or they have been talking about breaking OTP apart for a long period of time. Right, so imagine that there is a new Erlang OTP that doesn't include something like an HTTP client. We need an HTTP client because hacks, right, that comes with the language needs an H. Not comes with the language, but integrates with Mix is probably the first thing you install after you install Elixir. Uh, it needs HTTP client to fetch the packages, and we need HTTP to to even fetch hacks itself. So there are many things that may cause us to have to move and do new things, but um, it's a more of a kind of a reactive thing to what is happening around us. Than oh, we have planned this and we are going to that plan. So I hope that the plan we are going to get to the end and we say okay, we are done. So, uh, I, I mean, I love the fact that you brought up GenStage and Flow there. I think uh, I think they have been really great examples of of some really forward thinking kind of uh, library extraction and uh, library development in the Elixir ecosystem. Um, I'm wondering if there are any other libraries like that that you're thinking about or trying to develop on the side, or any other great use cases or things like that that you're you're thinking about right now. Uh, I don't think there's anything that comes to mind right now. So one of the things that, so over the last year, I have been really into studying software verification. Uh, and I even gave a talk uh, like a month ago in Brazil on the topic. So software verification is basically how we can verify that the software works the way we expect it to, right? And we do a lot of things uh in, in this area of software verification. So our tests, right, they are exactly for that. They are, they are, they are there to, to verify that the software is behaving the way we expect. Uh, when we do uh, code reviews, when we have things like linters, uh, when we get statistics about our code, we are getting metrics to to being able to assess the quality of our software. And if our software has good quality or if our software is maintainable, it's probably easier to assert that it behaves the way we expect. So, you know, kind of like we do a lot uh, and we see a lot of developments in the industry in, you know, over the last decade and a little bit more than that into this era of software verification. And so I've been studying that a lot. And there is one area, which is the formal methods or formal verification, which is when you prove that that code behaves the way you expect uh, it's and it's like mathematically proved, right? You have that guarantee, and that's what that's the discipline where we study things like type systems, which in its own it's already another huge discipline. And uh, and so and one of the things I'm studying is so we have a bunch of like we have disciplines that stu studies types, right? But we also have disciplines. They're usually called calculus, right? So studying types is usually the lambda calculus, and then we have like the book calculus, which is actually studying. Uh, systems and how systems communicate, which applies really well to us 
and how we can um, and how our processes, our agent servers, and those things communicate. So eventually, when I have a little bit more of free time, I want to study how we can write um, processes or communication between processes that is proven correct at definition time. So imagine that you implement something and you run a tool or the way you, you define the thing, we can say, well, there is going to be a deadlock here, there's going to be a race condition here, there's going to be an inconsistent state here. And you know, and there are like people that are doing that for other languages and other technologies. We even have tools that do that for Erlang and by consequence Elixir as well. Uh, so it's an area I'm interested on. Um, but and maybe it's going to be an exciting library in the future, but nobody knows when. <laughs> Um, that all sounds very interesting and abstract. And uh, to flip that around, a question that I've actually heard from other people in the community um, is we'll be sitting around saying, so like, how much do you think Jose bills out for? You know, when someone comes to Platform or Tech for Work, what is it like? How often does do you get brought into a project? And uh, I wasn't sure that you do work on stuff directly. So now that we have you... Do you ever like engage directly with clients on things or is it more an advisory role? Um, so at Platform, so we have Elixir projects running at Platform Tech and that I have a very advisory role where it's like someone comes with a problem. I try to understand the context and, uh, and give basically the advice, right? Uh, but I do work as a consultant quite a lot. So I do get to travel to companies and talk to their teams and see what they are doing. And that's really nice because I'm always using that to feedback into, you know, to see what the pains are and where people are struggling and what could be improved. So uh, we have been on the cycle, I think for like two years uh, and it has being a really productive cycle because I have this feedback coming in it and I can continue improving it. Uh, and we're now having a little bit of a, of a, a shift at the end, right? Because uh, you can see that, uh, so for example, the code formatter was not, we're, we're having it in Elixir, but it was not my initiative because uh, I am, so this is something that you get, right? When you're starting to work with a lot of people right, on big Elixir projects. And the projects that I work with, a lot of people, they are open source projects. So those needs, I started to feel a little bit in Elixir because, so um, today we are five in the Elixir team. And then people would come and say, you know, why did you format it this way? And then I would say, I actually have no idea, right? It's just like, it's just what I thought at the time. And I would be very inconsistent at times. And uh, I could not explain why. And then uh, with time, it became really clear that we need a formatter. But the the uh, Andrea and Alexei, that were the ones really pushing the formatter, they already ha- they already had this need from the projects they are running on, right? So uh, even though I I don't have that full like working with a team of five people every day on a project experience, now we have a diverse team that can bring that experience as well. And that's really good, right? Because we are complementing each other. Mm-hmm. So on a kind of related topic there, um, so obviously the community is a big part of open source development. Um, what more would you want to see from the community right now? Where, where, where do you think the community is kind of lacking or maybe other libraries that you'd want to see the community start to develop and standardize? Yeah, that's a really hard question, right? Because if you ask it, ask it that to me like three years ago or four years ago, I don't remember where nerves came by. I would never have said that, you know, someone really should be doing Elixir for Embedded because I don't understand anything about it. And it just turned out to be a really good idea, right? So, uh, so I, 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 I don't try to risk it. <laughs> so I think like um, <laughs> it's a very welcoming community. We should continue supporting each other. And uh, if you're interesting in, interested in taking Elixir to new domains, you know, you should, uh, and you have new ideas, you should try it out, try to get people that are interested in that uh, similar idea and get something going. And then, you know, we'll see what other things that, uh, that we can do with this language, right? So one of the things that we try to do 
was with GenStage and Flow. So GenStage, it's really useful uh, on its own, right? Uh, because it's about getting data from external systems and doing that with back pressure or pushing data with back pressure. That's great on its own. And then with Flow, we are trying to push a little bit more in the direction of data processing, not like big data processing, but data processing. But um, and there are people using that, using Flow in that sense. But it has basically been me carrying this flag. Right. And, you know, if I have to carry a flag, I, I, I want to carry the Elixir flag and not have one particular library. So, you know, when I try to, if I try to push in one direction or if I try to kind of like do a little bit thing on my own with the Elixir team help, it may not help organically. And that's not necessarily good. Sometimes it works, right? Sometimes it's great. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you do really need someone that is really interested in that. Uh, and to push it forward. So I remember people talking about IoT and they were asking, well, what Elixir can do about IoT? And you can see some blog posts that are really excited about Elixir and IoT. And then I'm going to talk to people and nobody really knows what IoT means. And nobody really knows what is going to be a streamlined experience, for example. So I'm just like, well, hopefully someday someone will figure out. And if they happen to be using Elixir for that, that's going to be really exciting. Because it seems like everyone says like we have, I don't know, if this is a valid expression in English, like we have the knife and the cheese. So in, in Portuguese, it means that you have everything you need, right? Because we have nerves and we have Phoenix. We can have, we have the front end and we have the back end in a way of saying, right? So, um, yeah, but, you know, who knows? So I would rather have it happening organically and people continue to be brave and continue venturing uh, new projects, new ideas. <laughs> the knife and the cheese <laughs> it's great <laughs> i was thinking what about crackers what about wine it's like i guess you don't really need those do you you just need <laughs> knife and the cheese <laughs> just the knife for the cheese yeah love that um i mean so just on that note as well we'll talk about communities uh obviously there's this there's already this large community in Erlang and uh, we see a bit of overlap from time to time. Right. But, you know, do you feel like, do you feel like we could be doing a better job bridging these two, two communities and especially the wider community around the beam? It feels like, it feels like sometimes that uh, we are kind of like relearning a lot of the things that the, that the Erlang folks have already learned at times. Um and I don't know, I wonder if there's a bit more knowledge that we could be taken advantage of in some way. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good question. Um, I think that, so one of the things that we need to be careful with are the like rite of passages. Uh, because, you know, um, so there is a bunch of this knowledge in Erlang and how can we, and everybody start, kind of have to learn it in their own. We have a bunch of books, we have a bunch of uh, material, but there's always the things that, you know, uh, that they're not written or they are written, but in order for you to mix the experience uh, with the understanding, then it becomes the rite of passage. Like, you know, you can read about it many times uh, or you can do something about it and then just... Uh, later on, and then after you go through this process, you come out a little bit more enlightenment, uh, if we can say. And that's and that's necessary to happen. Uh, but I we also need to be careful of you know how much uh, value we put in it. Like if we say that everyone needs to go through the same rite of passages as me, that's not a good thing. And so I think there is definitely a lot of um, a lot of collective learning we and sharing we could do there. Um, there is There are conflicting factors, like, for example, in Elixir 1.5, we introduced the new child specifications, uh, which is, is meant to simplify how things run on the supervision tree, which is not something specific in Elixir, and is not going to make much sense if someone is going to go to Erlang. Uh, so sometimes end up going a little bit apart as well. Uh, but I think one of the areas that we can probably do a lot more uh, 
sharing, for example, which is the common one, which is the being, right? And the properties uh, and the runtime understanding that you have when you're running it in production. Uh, that's a common place. And I still recommend a lot, for example, the Erling and Anger book. Yeah. Um, exactly because of that runtime knowledge that it has. Um yeah, so I definitely think we need to do to to do more. I think there are challenges uh, when we we decide to go a little bit apart because we think that's going to be a better experience. Uh, there are things that have grown apart, uh, I kind of unnecessarily. So, for example, today we have uh, different languages running on the Bing, and they and we cannot access the documentation between them. It's something I'm trying to solve right now. Uh, for example, so uh, the L- LFE language ended up uh, with a documentation system that is very s- similar to Elixir, but for some reason they don't interoperate. And I think it would be nice if those things, they could all interoperate. Uh, other things that we are doing, we are trying to do as well. And uh, in the last Erlang releases, we kind of could see that. So uh, working and doing improvements directly upstream. So everyone can benefit uh, from those improvements, and um, and everyone is sharing those solutions. So yeah, I think yeah, I think there is a lot of knowledge to be shared. Some of it, I think, uh, it can be shared, and even if if it could be shared, we may want to not share it in the sense that. Because if we are trying to imagine that we are trying to explain how supervisors work across all languages, you kind of lose the focus. So you're not teaching any of the language as well. It may work depending on some for some people or depending on who is explaining it. But having something that is specific to Elixir may work better, right? But I think in general, it's it's something that we should continue paying very close attention to and see where we can improve, where are the faults. It's always worth questioning and, and studying those things. Desmond, do you have any more questions? Oh, um, a couple more questions. I feel like we've <laughs> been really drawing it out of Jose for a while. I know. And by the way, I don't think I've ever, ever nodded so much. I'm just like, yes, everything you're saying, yes, this is great. So I probably look like a crazy person on the uh, Google Hangout, but you know. It's a, you look like those, you know, those dogs that you put <laughs> yeah. in the back of a car and then they go for the, they go for the bump and then they're shaking their head. No, I'm kidding. I, I might change my uh, Twitter bio to say that Jose Villim said that I look like a, a bobbin head guy. So yeah, thanks for that. That's something to write home about. Yeah. I have, uh, I guess, two questions, two kind of follow on questions to things that we've been dancing around with the formatter. Why did you choose to go with a formatter as opposed to a style guide? I don't want the machine to tell me what to do. I want the machine to do it for me. That's one way to, to see it. Um, so, you know, like the if we had a style guide or a linter, uh, because the style guide would eventually become a linter, right? That says, look, you've exceeded the line length. Look, you used two spaces. Look, there's no space after the comma. So there is something that should just automate it for me. That's one of the things. And I think the style guide, um, and if we can automate, it's easier to enforce in the sense that with the, form, with the formatter, there is no discussion. That's the style. Uh, and that's how you're going to do it. And with a style guide, you could fork the Elixir style guide, bring it to your company, but change 20% of the rules. Uh, or each project may have a copy of the style guide in a doc folder, and each project have their own rules, and then everything becomes uh, less efficient in the sense that you still end up with the issue that everyone wants to have their own rules in their own way, uh, their own ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. So I think solving that and solving that it it it's really good and to remove that completely out of the equation. And when I talked about the formatter, I said that if I'm going to be honest, the first time I ran the formatter, it it was really weird because the first code that I formatted was the formatter itself. And that was the code that was fresh in my brain. I just wrote it, right? And then now something changed it and it doesn't look the thing that I had in my brain. But 
And but now today, the way I do is that when I'm working on Elixir, I actually don't care anymore. I don't care about indentation. I just write the correct code, but style. But when speaking in terms of style, it's very sloppy. I don't worry about you know uh, adding about indenting. I don't worry about any of that. I just write the code, and then I ask the formatter to do it for me, and it's just beautiful, right? And then the style guide uh, is not was not going to cut, right? It was not going to give me this experience. And uh, and the style guide also means, I don't know how many people they do the kind of, it's very common open source, the pull requests style development where every time you want to have a new feature, you start a branch and then you send a pull request, right? If you have a style guide, it means that developers, they always need to worry about the style guide and giving comments, right? That, oh, this style here, is a little bit off, right? And then imagine that I received two comments. One is saying the style here is off, and the other one is saying that you know the logic is confusing. Which one would you rather attend first, right? It's a, the one about the logic. So uh, when we automate all those things, they disappear. I so there was a style guide that is the we don't have an official style guide in Elixir, but we have one which is probably going to be dead now in the formatter, which was the almost official style guide for Elixir because it is maintained by Alexei and Andrea that are in the core team and the style guide is aligned with the Elixir code base. And when the formatter was ready, I sent a request to the, to the style guide that, um, that removed all of the rules that we didn't have to worry about anymore because now I have the formatter and it basically reduced the style guide to half. So everything that was about formatting is gone. So the things that, that, that remain, they are uh, more related to APIs and how certain things work, more the functional aspect, right, than on the, the code style aspect. And that was really exciting. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I, I know what you mean around you can either have this thing out there that people then have to remember to go look up and, oh, did I, is this line of code, did I look through the entire style guide and, and catch everything? And it's like, make the machine do it, deal with it. Yeah, I feel like my team are going to be really happy that they don't uh, have to see comments from me anymore being like, well, that that could be formatted differently, you know, and uh, it doesn't hit, adhere to our style guide. It just like, it removes that whole class of conversation, which is I think is great. Well, eventually it does. I mean, there's been quite a bit of conversation on Elixir Forum about it. Right. But, you know, the, what's the expression about how these, it's bike shedding. You know, the, the small things attract the most uh, attention and everyone's got an opinion about it. And that isn't to say anyone's opinion is uh, dumb or worthless. It's just like everyone's got an opinion on formatting. It's a very personal thing. And uh, it can be difficult when someone comes in and says, here's the law. This is how we're going to do it going forward. Right. But then everyone like everyone will just get used to it. I think I think that's the thing. It's like you put it on a project and yeah, people will be like, oh, that's a bit weird at first. Um, and I know I had a similar reaction when I saw um, some of the code that the, the formatter formatted. Um, but I, I think it's just one of those things. You, you'll get used to the way it does it. You won't have to worry about it. And then you just don't have to think about this thing going forward, which I think is awesome. I mean, honestly, I gave up formatting um, when I was first learning Elixir and it said, oh, parentheses are optional. And I was coming from a Ruby background and I would never use parentheses, not in method definitions, not anywhere, unless I had to for precedence. So I thought, great, I'm not going to use parentheses here. Well, pretty quickly, I ran into trouble with um, <laughs> binding precedence, uh, specifically with the pipe operator. Uh, if you're using it inline and you're calling functions without parentheses, the pipe will bind uh, to the arguments instead of to the output of the thing, which I thought was a little curious. It's not what I would have done, but it's like, all right, well, if that's the deal, then I'm just going to use these parentheses. And then they said, all right, well, now you have to have um, empty parens around function calls with no arguments. Uh, you can't just bear word them like a variable. And after that, that was the final nail for me. It's like, I guess I'm just going to use these everywhere. And that's the style for Elixir. Desmond, I'm remembering a time where we were at the bar and you were really, really mad about that whole pipe parentheses thing. So, uh, <laughs> and it took you, we had to literally talk you down off a ledge. So you're making it seem like it was no big deal, but I remember differently. Well, this is, this is that phase. This is that acceptance phase. You know, I had to go through <laughs> that freak out for a little while, but then, you know, life goes on and you have other, other things to worry about. 
Yeah, and and it's funny because uh, I've I've I have not gone through the same phases, but I have gone through phases as well, right? So the 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 the, the warning for uh, for function calls without parentheses, uh, it was actually you know I was originally completely fine with it, and then with time you know, uh, getting the feedback, getting the cases, the scenarios that people were running to, right? Eventually I'm like, okay, now I agree with everyone and we need to make this change. And uh, and I think those are changes that they come, especially from the, con- the, 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 the context of uh, adoption and having larger teams. Uh, sometimes there are changes that are, reducing the ambiguity, right? So when you look at it, you know exactly what it means because if you don't have the parentheses there, what usually happens is that it isn't clear where those things they are going to bind. And then you have to you have to guess, right? And uh, and we can, could end up using different idioms and having those things they kind of force more towards a certain idiom. And now especially with the formatter. And with the formatter, it's really funny because yes, we, we get a lot of, there's a lot of the discussion in the formatter. And sometimes we get like people complaining about the two completely different op- opposing aspects, right? Like, you know, some people is like, oh, I, I don't think the format, the formatter should be rigid, more rigid than it is. And then people are like, oh, the format is too rigid. I would like it to be more flexible. And, and with the formatter was the first time where we actually had a big discussion in the Elixir team. It was not like nobody brought knives, uh, <laughs> but you know, it was like we had a huge discussion where it was the first time where we had to, we had to stop, you know, when you're having a discussion and then instead of talking about the thing that we're supposed to be talking about, we had to stop and we need to talk about the discussion because the discussion was not going well, you see what I mean? We did have the meta discussion yeah. about the discussion. So we're talking about the formatter, the, the, how we're going to format some things and how we're going to choose certain things and kind of have everybody's opinion in that. And at some point, the way we were deciding things, it was not going really well. So we had to do a meta discussion on how we're going to decide things forward. So everyone was on the same page. And then, <laughs> and then we could go back to designing things. I think it was the first time uh, it happened, like between us. Sometimes, I mean, we talk about how we can interact with the community and make that more productive for everybody. But this was the first time that was really about between us how we are going to solve those particular issues, which was interesting. Yeah, that's really. I mean, it's really great to hear just to have that kind of window into how these decisions are made. Um, at the top. And I'm curious what your takeaways from being involved in the Rails community for a while were, like how this feels different, uh, things you learned from that, and then generally what it's like to to be at the top of this community, to be sort of at the center of all this activity. Wow, oh, that's a very good question. I, I haven't actually put much thought about it. Uh, I think in terms of managing the community, uh, and, you know, uh, we got a lot of the being welcome and being receptive. We, we got a lot of it from, from Ruby. We got it from Matt. Uh, but I think in terms of community, the biggest, uh, the biggest lessons that I learned in particular from Rails was like how to manage the project in itself, right? Uh, Rails, I think, is probably still bigger than Elixir, the language in itself still. It, it definitely is in terms of project and in terms of activity that is happening on GitHub. Um, and, you know, um, having that previous experience uh, prepared me a lot, you know, how, on, on how I want to have the project wor- working from the community, how the community is going to inter- interact with it, how they're going to contribute, how accessible we are going to make it, and how organized we're going to have. So we don't don't need to... So one of the things I certainly didn't want to happen is that we declare issue bankruptcy, right? Where we say we have so many issues where that we are going to start over, or we are going just to close everything and people need to ask to reopen or something like that. Uh, that was one of the things that I got from it because, so I want to be prepared if the project eventually be- became that big, uh, that was important. Uh, but the other thing, it's also, uh, 
I'm going to say a word. I know that developers, they don't like this word, uh, you know, like from time to time, but it's marketing, right? The importance of getting out and talking about your project and how you envision people to use it, how you think that's going to help um, other people, you know, if, and to me, it's really, it's really clear, right? Like if it, if, I did not go out there and thought about going to conferences, speaking about Elixir and getting the message, the word out there, right? Uh, we most likely wouldn't be where we are today. Maybe it would have picked up uh, regardless, right? Because someone would do that job, but we would definitely have delayed it. So, you know, this this aspect of the communication in particular uh, in getting to other people that never heard about you and make them heard about and make them hear about what you're doing, get excited about it. Uh, it was also another important lesson that I got from uh, coming from Rails and the way things ran there. Um, so I guess in the interest of time, we can ask you one last question and then uh, we won't keep you any longer because uh, honestly, we could probably talk to you for the whole day, but I'm sure you have other things to do. And uh... It's fine. We can keep going and then... <laughs> <laughs> and then when we all pass out, then we'll yeah. start. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, I mean, on this podcast, we are we are Star Trek fans. So we were wondering, are you a Star Trek fan? And oh. do, you, do you have a favorite episode? <laughs> oh. You knew this was coming. <laughs> no, I didn't know it was coming. I didn't know it was coming, but I think one But you I haven't been think... listening to the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> I've I've heard pieces of it. I haven't, yeah, I haven't heard it all. I so I don't. I listen to music, and I'm all the time with music, and that really, not like that kind of get like my that takes all my earphone budget, pretty much. Um, so yeah, so we we had a panel at one of the Elixir conferences, and one of the question was. Star Trek or Star Wars? And everybody had a side except me because up to that moment, I hadn't seen any Star Trek and any Star Wars. That was like 2014, <laughs> 2015, right? So just to put things in perspective. And they were like, I need to watch Star Wars. So I picked up like the, the first trilogy, the, the four, five, and six, right? And then I, I was watching with my wife and then there was like, two minutes just showing the sand and the landscape. And then I'm like, life is too short for me to see this. I mean, like I, I completely understand like why people are watching, like why it was exciting that long time ago, but now it's not really, it was not really much. Right. It's like, so and then I saw the recent movies and, you know, but people say that the recent Star Trek movies, they basically, they don't count. Right, they they do not keep the soul of Star Trek. I don't know what is your opinion. You're saying that the Star Wars movies, the recent Star Wars, no, movies, the recent Star the Trek re- movies, the the one, oh, 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 okay. yeah, with recent people, <laughs> yeah, right. So they say it doesn't count. So I'm like, well, I fo- I found them fine. So uh, yeah, so if I'm going to go, I'm just going to say I'm going to go with Star Wars. But there is basically no. There is basically no found no base that just because I like the Force Awakens, but it's that's it. So you are definitely asking the wrong person. It's like <laughs> Well, I'm glad we found a topic that you're just yeah, you're you're kind of indifferent about as well. It's <laughs> it's it's good. Hmm. It's funny, I was thinking I have been thinking that like I think I watched the first Star Wars when I was two. And for three years, that's like the only movie I would watch. I've seen it, I don't know how many hundreds of times. And so I can't watch it with fresh eyes as a 30-something. And I wonder what it would be like to watch a 40-year-old movie um, with fresh eyes. And yeah, part of it is movies made back then had slower pacing and just, you know, they would give time to establish a shot. Yes, this is a giant desert. They're in the middle of nowhere. What's going to happen? But in 2017, people have other things to do yeah it i was trying to watch blade runner and they're like oh god so slow the slow one because i wanted to i know that was like 
And I know that I'm making, probably making people angry at me when I'm saying those things. They're like, <laughs> how come he doesn't like Blade Runner? Or, but, you know, it's like, I was like, I saw the new movie was coming out and I saw it was a classic. And I'm like, all right, let me watch this thing and see what the deal is about. But I think, you know, it's, I was like, yeah, that is not cutting it for me. It's the same thing. Everything's too slow. The story goes too slow. And then I was like, all right. Uh, next thing. <laughs> I like the new Blade Runner. I like that it was slow. Yeah, I didn't see the new one yet. I didn't see that. This is the old one. The old one was slow. And I was like, but I still want to watch the new one. They still say it's slow, but I think it's going to be slow in the, but in, I don't know, like it's going to be with the fresh looks, right? Is it from the same? Yeah, I think it may be a, interesting slow now because it's kind of up to date to what we expect in terms of movies and cinema so it can still be a good experience the music can still be very exciting the soundtrack right uh mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but you know getting the old one i think if we don't have that nostalgia nostalgia is that the word is that a valid word yeah, yeah. if you don't have that i yeah yeah, it's also, I mean, an interesting timepiece to how people thought about the future in the early 1980s um, before like technology was really a thing. And you can have these fanciful films like Tron um, and so forth. And um, I think that's one reason that the new, what was it, Ghost in the Shell movie fell a little flat because when the original series was coming out in the 90s, like computers were still very like, whoa, anything could happen. Who knows? And now like they've been around for a while and we know what's going to happen. It's Instagram. Snapchat. Um, so like there's less uh there's less mystery about it about it. There's less like fiction in the science and more like uh I know where this is going. Yeah, if you want to get me excited, then we can talk, for example, as most Brazilian people are like very passionate about soccer, right? So that's something that would go and and talk about. I don't know if if you are, Chris. I'm not. No, I'm. I'm. I'm one of the few English people who just have have no interest in it whatsoever. So I'm sorry. Yeah, that, that's what I. That's what I found in my experience that developers they for some reason they are not super excited. Like, you know, even you know at my my company there are like some people that talk about it and and are excited about it, but it's not like a general thing. Like all developers are really excited about it, and when you extrapolate that for to the bigger, like when I was in high school, right? Like most of my colleagues, most of the people in class who would uh, talk uh, about soccer and so on. Yeah, we, we were talking about uh, time, right? Uh, so my wife's pregnant. Um, Congratulations. And, uh, thank you. Uh, there's going to be a conclusion to this as well. <laughs> and uh and it's in it's four months and it's in the time where she's having those wishes and a wish for pizza just appeared so i Mm. probably need to go uh (laughs) you need to go and pick up some pizza yes address the the pizza issue the the pizza situation that you're having you got to close that pull request. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you're talking to two guys who lived in New York. So we're we're very fond of pizza ourselves. So, yeah, we'll save the pizza for another episode. Yes. Because I could talk about that for a while, too. Okay. Well, Jose, it's been so amazing having you on the show. Thank you so, so much for being here and uh, answering all of our questions, all of them, literally. Uh, and, yeah, thank you for your continued work and just everything you've been doing. So. You're welcome. I'm glad to be here. Did did we go through all the list actually, or pretty much, right? No, Desmond's yeah. saying no. <laughs> all right, last one. We, no, can yeah. give, we, we, we can do a challenge of uh, because I talk a lot. We should do a challenge of like I have three minutes to answer every question, and then I think oh. we'd be much more productive. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Here's here's this is the I promise this is the last one. We'll time this to Chris. Do you want to set a timer for like seventy five seconds? I'm doing it. I'm doing it. 75 yeah. seconds, all right? How many? How, uh, it's a minute, 15 seconds. Okay, all right. All right. I'm ready, yes. Okay. What advice are people giving as dogma that makes you mad because it's completely wrong? Oh, man, that cannot be answered in 75 seconds. <laughs> you wanted this to be easy? I would, I would need 75 seconds to, to, to come. Okay, I'm going to flip because it's kind of a thing. An advice I would give for people programming is uh, 
read the stack traces, read the error messages, um, because it doesn't work everywhere, but we do put a lot of work, work in making those things readable, in making those things accessible. So uh, take a look at those. And that's, not, that's, not, and that's not because I don't want people to kind of like to come. If they, if I have an issue, then you should definitely talk about it. And if you don't understand it, you should definitely ask about it. But, you know, a lot of insight into what is wrong and how we can solve that is coming from the stack traces, coming from the error messages. So that's kind of like, that's the advice I would give. And I think it's not dogma at all. <laughs> it's actually good advice, but that answer, it's no way I can do that. <laughs> that, that was good. That was a minute. So you, you, that was pretty damn good. So. Yeah, except I completely, I did not answer it at all, but Besides that, <laughs> it was totally fine at the time. We'll, we'll let you off because yeah. you've done such a good job before. So you, you, with all the other questions, you did the test on time. You just got all answers wrong. That's, <laughs> that's how I went through school. <laughs> all right, everyone. Well, that's our show for this time. Um, thanks again to Jose Valim for joining us. My pleasure. And um, we will. We'll be uh, taking a couple weeks off for the holidays, but we'll be back in the new year with the next episode of Elixir Talk. And until then, keep Elixir. Elixir.